Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone. This is the 20 Questions podcast. Over the last year or two, I've managed to talk a few rather famous people into answering the same 20 questions and picking some music they like. I've been lucky enough to meet some amazing people. Few of them can truly be described as legends, and on this podcast, we're hearing from a man who is definitely a legend. In his attempt to rescue the journalist John McCarthy in the Lebanon, he was actually kidnapped himself and spent 4 years as a hostage. Amazingly, his captivity only seemed to make him stronger. It's just a great story and I think you'll be inspired. As always, question number 1 is, what is your name? What's my name? My name is Terry Waite. I was baptized with the name Terence, but uh, I use Terry. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you very much for joining us. Question number 2, um we ought to know this, but I'm sure there's a wealth of answers. What do you do? There are a wealth of answers. Yes. Well, many, many things. When I came out of captivity all those years ago, I uh, determined that I was not going to take up my uh, old job at Lambeth Palace, but I was going to spend the rest of my life doing what I really wanted to do, and that was to earn my own living by writing and lecturing, so to give up a salary and to engage in the variety of humanitarian activities that have concerned me across life. So I spend a great deal of time these days working with hostages and hostage um, families with Hostage UK which I founded some years ago with overseas development providing opportunities job opportunities for young people with Ycare associated with the international YMCA movement with the homeless through Emmaus which is an organization founded in France in 1947 in this country uh, 20 odd years ago when I opened the first community in Cambridge an organization that gets homeless people back into life not just giving charity but gives them back into life and um, quite a lot with prisons and prisoners and in between time I do a bit of writing <laughs> I'm going to talk about the new book which is a scream a little bit later on um there are probably more hostages around the world than we imagine there are a lot and only uh, two days ago We had a meeting of um, Hostage UK um, when we reviewed the situation. The main purpose of that organisation is to give support to families and to support hostages when they return. And um, we have a whole list in front of us: uh, people who are not mentioned in the press, people whom we've no idea about, the British public have no idea that have been taken hostage, and their names are kept out of the press for good reason because. undue publicity would endanger their lives even further it's frightening isn't it it's a terrible situation and um it's always been bad i mean people i was captured with were murdered and i myself had a death threat i mean i had the gun put to my head and told i was going to die but um we've seen some appalling scenes recently and those scenes of people being beheaded which have been shown on video how dreadful that is what of course we don't see as well is the fact of warfare and the hundreds hundreds of men women and children innocent people who've also died as a result of warfare you know the whole situation is just grim beyond measure 
Is it worse now that it was, or did we just not know about it before? I think every generation has uh, regards it as being worse than before. I was only reading the other day about, I think it was um, one of the famous battles in the 1400s, I forget which one now, but when it said, in that day, proportionally, as many people died in one day, proportionally, as died in World War II. I mean, that is a appalling tragedy. And so every generation will think that. But nevertheless, it is bad in every generation. There's something, is there not, in um, human beings, that aggressive warfare instinct, think we're going to resolve problems by war. I mean, every terrorist action that's taken place in recent years, going back, let's say, to the time of the Mau Mau, uh, and going through to Northern Ireland and coming up to the present day, we think we're going to resolve it by warfare. And at the end of the day, it has to be resolved by people getting together and talking. And that has to happen at the end of the day and will happen in this case eventually. Here's question number three to Terry Waite. Uh, where did you grow up? We mentioned it in the introduction. Where did you grow up? Well, as you can see from my dress, I grew up in I grew up in style. S T Y L E is the name of a small Cheshire village near Wilmslow, which has become a footballer's paradise these days, or, or footballer's hell. I'm not quite sure which way you describe it, but uh, style was a small village. My father was the village policeman. And um, it's not too far. It's 11 miles from Manchester uh, to the south of Manchester. And it was a, a very interesting childhood because I can tell you, if ever you get the chance to come back into life, don't come back as the son of a village policeman or the son of the teacher or the son of the parson because all three of you are Mark. You know, you can't get away with anything. And I couldn't get away with anything when I was a boy. Brothers <coughs> and sisters? Yeah, but one, one brother, one sister. <clears throat> One sister living still in Cheshire, and uh, my brother living overseas in Cyprus. And a uh, happy childhood? Uh, yeah, happy childhood, yes, ups and downs. You know, my father was a good man. He was a just man. He was uh, pretty straight. He was pr pretty authoritarian in many ways. He was the village Bobby. He was the village Bobby, exactly. But, you know, he had a pretty difficult background, and um, he was the son of... Uh, parents who experienced the depression when their business went into the wall very hard times he ran away from home he was homeless for a while and i suppose if i dig into the real motives that lie behind what i do now now i must be i must have been thinking of the fact that my father was homeless and nothing i could do nothing about that then but i could do something about it now and so um, i am engaged in that field now so school in style <clears throat> the primary school style primary school still going strong is it you know um, but in those days you know it was a pretty pretty rudimentary education because all the teachers this was the 1940s we had a reunion recently um, of all the kids who'd been brought up in that village in the in the 40s and early 50s, 72 of us turned up. Wow. 72. And we're all in our... I'm 76 now, and we're all, we're all getting on. But there we were together, and we recognised each other. Great, great companionship. There was still that sense of community, still that sense of being together, you know, and of... Um, even though we got into all sorts of scrapes, fell yeah. in the river Bolin on many occasions, you know, fell out of trees, all that sort of stuff, just William stuff. You know. <laughs> it's a lovely county, Cheshire, though, isn't it? Lovely. Uh, very, very nice county. Yeah. So after the primary school, then uh, stayed in the area? or Well, yes. We yeah. say, well, my father moved about the county a bit. I mean, they used to move the police. We lived in the police house, you know, with a, it was a police station, I suppose. Police office had one filing cabinet, one candlestick telephone, a desk and a chair. And uh, that was it. That was the police office. And it, the phone didn't even, you know, had no dial. You had to pick it up and speak to the, uh, the operator. Can I have uh, the police station, please? <laughs> the main police station in Wilmslow. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great place. We moved across to um, a place called Lim, where my sister still lives, not far from Warrington. And um, I went to a school there. And, um, you know, my good years. I finished up as head boy. Um, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> Probably because of my height. I'm six foot seven. Oh. <laughs> and then after school, university, was it? No, I, what I did, um, first of all, I, I tried to do, I suppose, now looking back, tried to go away from home and join the Navy at the age of 15. And my father persuaded me not to. I wanted <laughs> to see the world. I was full of adventure, you know. 
idealism and the thought, oh, get out and see the world, join the Navy. My father said, you know, you won't see much of the world. You'll see a lot of the Navy, but not much of the world. And at the last moment, he turned me back and I, I decided not to go. So then I um, applied to do national service early, um, but was put into the Grenadier Guards. And um, that was pretty tough, but uh, I had to be uh, discharged from that because I developed an allergy to the khaki dye. Couldn't wear. A national serviceman would have given his right arm for that. <laughs> 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 so anyway, I left. And then I went into college. And I had no, I, no intention of being ordained, but I went into a, a, a church college. And because um, I really hadn't got a clear idea what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to engage somehow in humanitarian work, but I didn't want to get caught up in a bureaucracy, and I certainly didn't want to be ordained because that's not my vocation. But I went into the church college and um, did uh, basic theological training, got through all that, uh, and did quite a bit of um, you know social work as well. So that was my introduction. Are you a religious man? Uh, I don't like the word religious, um, because religious implies to me a dogmatic framework within which there's not a lot of room for movement. I would rather say that I am a person um, who has, a, I hope, a spiritual life, and um, my values are based on Christian values, yes, definitely. Um, but I'm not a dogmatist. Um, I am an Anglican. I've worked on the staff of the Archbishop of Canterbury. I am definitely an Anglican. I was brought up in that tradition. But I'm also a Quaker, a member of the Society of Friends. I suppose you might call me then a Quanglican. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Because I mix it. But I, I value the Quakers because they have a respect for corporate silence, something that's really lacking in today's world, and they know how to utilize that. They also have excellent business ethics. Um, they really uh, do um, stand. Um, some of the old you know, firms, the old chocolate firms, were founded by Quakers, and the Model Village in Bourneville and out there, all Quaker institutions. And I think the Quakers have got a lot to teach us about the way in which we can run the modern economy. Let's move on to question four now. Uh, Terry Waite, what is your most treasured possession? What is my most treasured possession? Ah, uh, that's a very, very good question. I suppose um, I'd have to pluralise that and say books. Um, I, I, I do read occasionally from, a, from a, an electronic, through the electronic media, but I love books. And that's one of the greatest uh, deprivations for me in captivity, not to have books. I mean, I used to plead with my captors to bring me books. They wouldn't. And uh, they said, no, no, we've never read a book in our life. Why should you have a book? One day, uh, a captor was a bit kindly heart, I'll try and get a book for you. He didn't know what he could buy because he couldn't read. He didn't know what he was bringing. He came into the cell. I pulled the blindfold over my eyes. He dropped a book by my side. And when he went out of the cell, I picked up the book, laughed out loud. Unknown to himself, he brought me great escapes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Great escape. <laughs> Useless. When he came into the cell again, I said, you couldn't get me a wooden horse, could you? <laughs> he, he thought I'd gone completely bonkers. bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. But no, books I would miss. I love books. And if in captivity <laughs> I could have books of my choice, it would have made life a little easier, a lot easier. I'd have been able to read to my heart's content, read history as I wanted to read history, read mathematics as I've always wanted to study it and been hopeless at it, read physics. Oh, it'd be wonderful. From books to music, let's have your first musical choice now, please, Terry. First musical choice here. Ah, this is lovely. I'm uh, president of the International Musical Estate in Tlagotlan, North Wales, and uh, it's held every July, and I shall be there this July. And there was a wonderful concert uh, I heard recently on St. David's Day. Um, Pudin Turfel was, was singing. But there was a lovely song by Mansell Thomas, Daffodils. And it's really beautiful. We don't have the rights to play this music on the podcast, but we'll hear more from Terry Waite in just a minute. You're listening to 20 Questions with Terry Waite. And here's number five, Terry. The happiest day of your life. I, I think I ought to be able to guess that, but maybe not. I don't know. The happiest day of my life. When would that be? I guess you would be guessing when I was released. Yes. Um, but going back to that, um, 
you are released with very mixed feelings, you know, because on the one hand, you've been in isolation for years and you haven't spoken to people for years. You've had no conversation. You've had everything has had to be with yourself on the interior. You've had to develop your active imagination and so on and so forth. Um, And you're coming out into a world that's changed. I mean, imagine uh, we're in a little studio now. Switch off the lights, close the door, block the windows, be chained to the wall, and you're there for five years. Um, So you're coming out of that into a world that you're not sure how it's changed. You're not sure what the future's going to be. You're not sure how your family are going to receive you, how your friends are going to receive you. So, yes, you're glad to be released, and you go out into the fresh air, and you see the sky for the first time, and you feel the wind on your face, and you say, oh, it is marvellous to be free. But then there was apprehension. Am I going to adjust? Have I gone crazy? Am I all right, you know? How's everybody else? What's happened while I've been away? Half the things you don't catch up with. But it was a happy day. It was happy in sense that at least one has gone through one phase of life, survived it, going to the next one. Was there a moment when you thought, <clears throat> I'm released now? Was there, was there a moment, or was it a gradual... Something? Well, no, 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 no. They came into the cell and they told me on many an occasion, you've got to go, you know, they said, you've got to leave. But I never did. And you get to the point of... Say, I believe it when it happens. And you live life, um, you learn to live life one day at a time. Now, I know in, in everyday life, of course, we all have to make plans for the future. But it's important to recognize, I think, that now is life. You know, at this moment, as you and I are talking, you're the most important person in the world to me. You know, because you and I are talking together. This is our life. This is your life. This is my life. And how often in life do we say, oh, well, you know, I'm just living for retirement or I'm living for this or I'm living in the past, right? The past can enhance the present and the future can give us hope. Uh, for the, you know, We can have hope for the future, but now is life. And that's what you learn in captivity, to live it now and to say, this is the moment, you know, live it fully. So was that the happiest or is there another day you'd like to pick as the happiest day? Um, I am never... That's a more joyful one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am never good uh, at making lists of happiest days and things like that. I'm never good at it. So I avoid the question. <laughs> Nicely swerved. Nicely swerved. Here's question number six to Terry yeah, Wade. Yeah. Um, what are you scared of? Scared of? Scared of? I... I think that's a very, very hard question to answer. I suppose one is scared of not being able to grow fully into one's whole self. Um, Now, what does that mean in reality? I think it means um, somehow living in such a way that you are incomplete, um, that you've never developed your capacities, you've never lived fully, um, and then you can be scared of that and really disappointed with yourself. I can't say that that has happened with me so far, and I don't think it will happen, but I would be I would be scared and disappointed of that. Um Physical situations don't—they make me apprehensive and scared at times. Of course, I mean I've faced uh, mock execution myself. I've had the gun put to my head. I've been at the receiving end of of a gun on another situation in Uganda when I was told I was going to be shot. I've seen people murdered. I've had the most awful, dreadful experiences, which have given me temporary fear, but they haven't paralysed me. I think uh, I'd be more paralysed by what I described a moment earlier. Number seven, um, who was or who is your hero? Um, <clears throat> again, I, I'm not good at making lists, but I, there are people I particularly admire. And um, my, my friend uh, Desmond Tutu is one. Desmond, I've worked a lot with him in, over the years in South Africa. And years ago, I was even sent years ago uh, to be a character witness for him. Can you believe that? Sending me to be a character witness for Desmond Tutu, cranky. We have a couple of silly questions now. <laughs> uh, number eight, what did you do yesterday? What did I do yesterday? Uh, yesterday, I was um, back home in Suffolk, 
And I was preparing uh, to go away. I'm going away tomorrow back to the United States. And I was also working uh, through um, a number of things that I'd been doing the previous day when I'd had a meeting of Hostage UK. And we'd been reviewing the, the hostage situation and making plans for the development of Hostage International. Um, we've been requested as a result of the work we've done to set up hostage in America, in Italy, in many parts of the world. And so we're, trying, we're developing now an international organization. All that has to be put together, and I was working on that as well yesterday. And number nine, uh, who was the last person you spoke to before you came into this room that we're in at the moment on the telephone? Uh, on the telephone? Yeah. On the telephone. It was um, Radio Suffolk. Radio Suffolk. Yes, it was on the telephone. Let's have another piece of music now, please, okay, Terry. Fine. What's the uh, next choice going to be? Now, um, on the list that I've been given by your illustrious studio, it's got Peace from the Peacemakers, and it says by Ivor Gurney. Now, someone has got that slightly mixed up, I think, because the, the piece I was referring to was Peace from the Peacemakers by Carl Jenkins. And Carl Jenkins is um, a Welsh composer. He's most actually the most played uh, composer of our generation um, and he writes core works and Carl asked me if I would write something for one of his works uh, some libretti and so I wrote Peace um, and he set it to music as a soprano solo and I thought with all due arrogance on my part <laughs> it was rather good oh, oh rather good I thought oh, with all due humility <laughs> I thought, why not get them to play a piece? And when I look at the list you presented me, you've got an entirely different piece here. <laughs> Some so, heads will roll. Our heads will roll for that, <laughs> I can tell you. Anyway, it's Peace from the Peacemakers by Carl Jenkins. <laughs> we don't have music rights for this podcast, so we'll hear more from Terry Waite in just a minute. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to 20 Questions with Terry Waite. And here's number 10 now, Terry. Uh, well, I'm sure you have. Have you got any awards? Uh, yeah, I've got some awards. I bet you have. <laughs> I don't know what they are. I mean, I'm, I think I'm a doctor. Uh, how do you feel? All right? <laughs> I think I'm okay. Yeah, yes. All right, give me a pulse. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> yeah. I'm a doctor about 14 times, I think. Um, and, 
you know, I mean, why do I accept all those doctorates? Well, you like to be able to do something with it for young people. And sometimes by your association with the university, you can do something to promote and help that university. And I believe that, believe in that. I got an MBE some years ago. I got a CBE. I do not, let me emphasize it, I do not, I am not a sir, but I'm always getting letters addressed to Sir Terry Waite. And they're confusing me with Sir Terry Wogan. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. This is not Terry Wogan speaking. <laughs> this is Terry Waite speaking. And I am not a sir. <laughs> but I've got a, a CB. I'm a commander. Commander Waite, and uh, that's very appropriate. You can call me Commander because... Oh, I like that. Yes, I like Commander. Yeah, I like yes. Commander. Yes. Commander Waite, yes. I think it's rather good. And also, it goes with my telephone number. The last three l- numbers are 005. Ooh. Just too short of 007. <laughs> <laughs> Commander Waite 005. That's the man. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, let's move away from that. Here's question number 11 to uh, Commander. Terry yeah, Waite. Yeah. Um, what's your signature dish? Do you cook at all? Do oh, you? yes. So. Oh, definitely. I love cooking. Yeah. I'm not a great cook. Some people say I'm a reasonable cook. But I like cooking. It's very relaxing. And I like to cook vegetables. Best way to cook vegetables, don't boil them. Get one of these good non-stick saucepans. Chop up the raw veg and just gently put them in there and, and heat them up or roast them in the oven. Okay. Delicious. My best dish, well, we had it last, was it last night? Yeah, it was last night. Uh, fish pie. I love fish pie. Oh, so do I. Isn't that great? Can't be beaten. And shepherd's pie. Yep. Or, yep. Uh, shepherd's pie. Oh, yeah. You can't beat either Where's meat and potatoes, isn't it? That's I'm meat and potatoes. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> Don't I look like meat and potatoes? <laughs> now, I must ask you about yeah. the book. You've got this new book out called The Golden, The Voyage of the Golden Handshake. Uh-huh. And uh, it's funny. You like it? I thought that I haven't finished reading it. I've read ah, good right. extracts from it, right. and I think it's very funny. There's a, uh, there must be personal experience in there from life on the ocean wave, <laughs> almost cruising, and people in retirement. And have you ever done any speaking on cruise ships? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose my associations with the sea goes back. It must go back to what I said earlier when I was 15. You know, when I wanted to join Run the away. navy. Yeah. The book had its origins, I suppose, in captivity when I learned how to develop creative imagination. You have to do that if you're going to lift yourself out of those gloomy circumstances and take yourself into other realms. I didn't write this book there, but years later, um, I I wrote factual books. I wrote my first book in my head in captivity, Taken on Trust. That was written without pencil and paper in my head. But this book had its genesis there when I developed creative imagination. And then if you're going to write, then you should write about something you know. You know, that's usually the best thing to do. And... um, I also feel that dealing with depressing subjects, as I'm dealing with every day, with families who are in great distress and situations that are terrible, about which, of course, no sensible person would ever laugh, you at the same time must not lose your sense of humour. You know, that is an important component of life. Some of the characters in The the Voyage of the Golden Handshake are great. (laughs) They come from personal experience, Yeah, they do. (laughs) Albert and Alice Hardcastle from the co-op, who win a lot of money on the pools, and go on a cruise ship organised by Admiral Harrington, Bembo Harrington, who is uh, a character and a half, got kicked out of the Navy, so he sets up his own little cruise line. And, and we're not sure about the seaworthiness of this uh, no, ship, are we? No, the seaworthiness is very, very dodgy, because it was an old cattle ship that he converted. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of having a swimming pool, they have a cattle trough, which they can put their feet in. <laughs> but off they go around the world, Albert and Alice. Okay, let's move on. We're going to have fish pie, yep. uh, your signature dish, with four people dead or alive at your dinner party. This is question number 12. Uh, right, who should we have? Um, four people. I fishy. That's a difficult one again, isn't it? Desmond? To You're going for Desmond? Uh, Desmond would be definitely uh, one of them. Robert Runsey. Now, Robert, uh, Robert, former Archbishop of Canterbury, a great friend. I worked with him for many years. Robert was never particularly happy doing TV or radio interviews. He used to freeze, you know. But get him at a dinner party. He was brilliantly humorous. He really was. Um, Who else? I think someone who's very, very interesting, whom I met a number of years ago, and very odd choice, but an interesting person, 
would be um, George Blake, the spy, the double agent. And I met him in Moscow a number of years ago and spent time with him because I, th- I was writing a book which has not yet seen the light of day called Solitary Places and Solitary People. And I thought, you know, to be a double agent is an unusual form of a solitary life because you're leading a double life. And so I went to see him and spent um, spent some time with him. And um, as for ladies, I'm trying to think. We should have a lady I there. I think we should, yeah. Better, better have a lady in this. And there are so many. How about um, a good sparky person, something like Joe, uh, someone, again, I know and whom I like, is Joanna Lumley. Joanna's a good, she's a good campaigner. She's uh, an attractive lady, and she'd keep the conversation going, I'll wouldn't she? Would, uh, that would be a nice little group, wouldn't it? it I don't great. know how old George would get on with that. <laughs> 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 but he might do all right. He'd be there to be interesting. He'd be interesting. <laughs> Here's question 13 to Terry Wade now. <clears throat> and you've travelled the globe, haven't you? Yep. You really have. If you could tell me just one place that I really must visit... Where would that be? New Zealand, without a doubt. Lovely. Now, New Zealand is I, probably one of the reasons I, I like it is that it um, reminds me of, and many people say this, reminds me of the UK as it was years ago. It's changing rapidly and it won't be like that for a long time. It won't be like that forever. But um, I go there every year now in January and I wrote um, The Voyage of the Golden Handshake there. And its sequel I've written, which is not yet published, but I've written written its sequel there. Um, It's a beautiful country. It's got both lovely countryside. In the south, the fjords are equally as lovely, if not more so than the Norwegian fjords. The people are friendly and charming, and uh, it's just a very nice part of the world. So I would say... um, don't go there, because you'll spoil it if you get too many people. <laughs> so keep away. <laughs> go sparingly, you know. <laughs> time for our next piece of music now. Okay, it oh, there be? we are. I consult the list again, and this time they've got it right. <laughs> this time. Um, it's any piano piece by Horowitz. Now, Horowitz was um, a most superb interpreter uh, 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 on the piano. He really was a marvellous interpreter of the piano. All sorts of composers. He got a very distinctive touch. And um, I think he's just just a great pianist. He did a wonderful concert at the Carnegie Hall um, because he retired from public performance for many years. I think he had a, a, a form of breakdown and he retired from that for many years. But then he came back and filled the Carnegie Hall, and perhaps we can take a little bit from that concert, which is on disc. I've got everything that uh, Horowitz ever recorded on disc at home, and uh, he's the one I'd choose. We don't have the rights to play this music on the podcast, but we'll hear more from Terry Waite in just a minute. You're listening to 20 Questions with Terry Waite. Now, here's question number 14, Terry. If... You met the 18-year-old Terry Waite, mm. Terence Waite. What would you think and what would you say to him? I think he was a great gawky loon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I was thin, I was tall, I was inexperienced with the world. Um, I didn't quite know which direction I was going to go, you know. Um, I was searching around. And... Um, Restless, restless. Yes, that's what I was, restless, to somehow try and find the appropriate outlet for that energy I had and for that um, growing sense, I suppose, of vocation. I wasn't very—I went to church. I was a member of the church choir. Um, But, um, you know, that's the sort of person that that person I was. And it gives me hope because I was so— pretty well hopeless when I was younger, you know, I'm improved slightly, not a lot, but slightly. And when I see, you know, young people who are going through tough times and difficult times, one can always be hopeful and optimistic, particularly if they're rebellious. When kids, you know, some of the kids who get into trouble and get put into institutions, I mean, I've seen those kids, lots of them are really great, they've got real ability, and if only we could find the right sort of school and environment for them to channel that ability, to take use of that energy, to give them some purpose, 
we wouldn't have half the delinquency that we have. Because no one's intrinsically a bad one, are they? It's the circumstances. Often the circumstances. I think we've all got a touch of the nasties in us. You know, I think we've all got a mixture of, of light and dark. But having said that, you know, people who get up to the most dreadful things when they're young, there's always a chance. I always like to say that people have a chance. I do a lot of work with people who are in prison these days. And um, I just wish our prison system was better. You know, we, we these days, there are no votes in prison, so no politician is going to be put his life on the line for prisoners. And yet we find that the tendency in many places now is just lock them up, throw the key away. Now, I, would, I don't like crime, and I'd be deeply, deeply upset if my place was ransacked or my car stolen. Of course I would. But at the same time, one has to look at the circumstances. Women prisoners, um, the majority of them, you know, are victims themselves. I was in a women's prison two weeks ago in America where we have a very unique course, educational course running. One young girl there, 15 years of age, she was convicted of uh, shooting her, her abuser. She shot him and killed him, 15 years. She got a sentence of 50 years with no possibility of parole. No possibility of being let out for 50 years, age 15. Now, that girl is going through the educational course. She is a bright girl, but she's going to be in that institution unless there's major change in American policy. We are not as bad as that yet, but we're going that way in this country. We're not putting sufficient resources into rehabilitation. People say, prisons are too soft. Don't you believe it? I mean, there is nothing harder for most people, not for everybody, but for most people, than to be deprived of liberty. To be fastened in a jail cell when your son or your partner is knocked over in the street and dying. You can do nothing nothing or whether it's another crisis you are confined and if there's no possibility of balancing that with proper rehabilitation adequate rehabilitation then we're in a sorry state and i think you know the way in which we treat those people who offend against society is a reflection in society itself Interesting. And you would know, having had five years in yep. captivity as well yeah i do i know what it's like to be without freedom moving forward Question 15 now. What's the best thing about being older and wiser? <laughs> well, best thing, <clears throat> best thing about being older. To be older is absolutely great, I think. It's wonderful because you don't have to prove much to anybody. You know, when you're younger, you're, you're having to do this, do that, prove yourself, worry about advancement. Am I going to get promotion? Am I going to do this? All that's gone now. You, you don't have to bother about that, you know. You can say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is living life. I don't know how long I've got. I'm, you know, maybe one year, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. My mother-in-law is 104. She's 104. She still lives alone. My son rather mischievously says she lives alone because nobody else will live with her, but that's another matter. <laughs> <laughs> but she still lives alone. She still goes to night school. Um, and she says, I said, what are you doing at night school? She said, I'm doing history, literature, and lip reading in case I might need it one day. <laughs> but, but she said, I just found her on, her birthday was on Good Friday last. I phoned her up, said, how are you? She lives in Belfast. She said, I'm fine, fine. She said, I'm just going to walk to church, and I've just finished my latest Jane Austen novel. That's the spirit that's the spirit, isn't it? Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. That's, so she's getting old. She's growing old gracefully. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, here's number 16 now. You've met a lot of famous people over the years, I'm sure. Uh, have you ever been starstruck at all or very impressed with somebody? Never been starstruck. I'm not starstruck with people. I, that, that is something I can genuinely say I'm not. I believe implicitly that, okay, you pay respect different... Um, Start uh, strata in society. If people hold office, you pay respect to that office, you know. But at the end of the day, I always remember that the person who's occupying that office is just an ordinary human being, same as myself. Um, maybe cleverer, often cleverer, or almost always cleverer in my case. You know, almost and holding distinctive and uh, significant office, always greater than myself. 
But we have one point in common. We share this same planet. We are human beings. Whatever our race, whatever our color, whatever our background. So I'm not starstruck. I'm impressed by the things that some people do, the wonderful things they do. But I'm not over-impressed by office. I'm only impressed by office if people fill that office and do something truly impressive and truly great. You said a name earlier on in the chat, and it was Nelson. Yeah. Surely uh, a very impressive character. Most impressive, most impressive man who came out of that experience of, uh, of captivity and continued the message of reconciliation. Now, that is, that is impressive. And it is impressive also when I've seen people who have, I mean, I know a lot of people who've come out of prison, who've admitted the fact that they, they did wrong, they perhaps murdered or they did something wrong, but have been determined to get over that and to do what they can uh, to be reconciled. I only met the other day, um, I was at, uh, in Oxford on a public platform with Joe Berry and Patrick McGee. Now, Patrick was a member of the IRA, and Patrick McGee shot and killed Joe Berry's uh, father. Now, you wouldn't think, would you, that she'd ever want to meet him or he would ever want to meet her. He now is full of remorse for that, and she has found it within herself to understand and to forgive. And I think that's a truly great quality. If somehow, I'm not saying that um, it's an easy process, uh, not at all, but somehow it's, be able to forgive is an essential part of life, and I think we should be able to develop that a bit. Let's have another song. Another song. Please. Where, where are we? Number four. Band of the Royal Marines. Well, I like this, because can anybody ever listen to... The Marines playing the last post. You know, and the evening hymn. Can you ever listen to that and not be moved? I can't. And um, so I just suggest that everybody just sits back and listens to this wonderful piece of music. We don't have music rights for this podcast, so we'll hear more from Terry Waite in just a minute. You're listening to 20 Questions with Terry Waite. It's a complete day off, question number 17. Complete day off. You to yourself. Will you read a book? Will you watch a film? Will you do some gardening? What will you do? No work at all. <laughs> Two things. Uh, read a book and, yeah, watch a, watch a film. I love <laughs> the old carry-on films. <laughs> Some said, you know, The Voyage of the Golden Handshake is a bit like a carry-on film. It is, it is, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely. The last person that I uh, did this programme with was Jim Dale. Oh, yeah. Who did 11 carry-on films. He did, Jim was uh, on them all, yeah. yeah. Well, he was not all of them, no. he was in very many of them. Yeah. He was very good, wasn't he? He fantastic. He must fantastic. be getting on now. He's 80 in August. Is he really? Yeah, and he was fabulous, absolutely What fabulous. a wonderful team, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, many of that team had real personal problems, you know. Jim, Jim was one exception. I don't think Jim. Right. I think Jim escaped that. But nevertheless, they were they were great characters, and they they were so funny. I bought the whole DVD set. I've got the whole DVD set, and if I want a really good laugh, you know, you put them on. And there was the Welsh fellow. What was the Welsh fellow who played the army? Um, you're in the army now, chap. He was. He was. He was I forgot his name, but there was. Um, Kenneth Williams. Cole, Kenneth Cole. Kenneth Cole. Uh, yes. Uh, Kenneth Connor, sorry. Kenneth Connor, Peter Butterworth. Oh, yes. Peter Butterworth is in them. Yeah. Um, of course. Charles uh, Hawtrey. Oh, Charles. Kenneth Williams. Now, poor old Charles Hawtrey, chronic mm. alcoholic. Mm. But what a part he played. He was so funny, you know. And um, I just, I, I really do enjoy those old films. And I would love to see, I mean, I'm going to put a little plug in for myself. I would love to see... The Voyage of the Golden Handshake, made into a series, a comic series. So would I. Having read it, I, I thoroughly endorse that. Let's, <laughs> let's hope there's a producer listening that wants yeah. to do this. Exactly. Right it would yeah, make it, wouldn't it? It would. It, it would really make would. it. It, it would really. make it, yeah. Have you seen The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? No. Oh, you must go and see. There's two of them now. Uh-huh. Great films. Uh, uh-huh. They're funny. Yeah. 
your book's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't say that. They're very nice to me. But there, yeah, we there we are. So right. here's number 18 now. We're nearly at an end. <clears throat> if, oh gosh, and this is, could be interesting in your case. If you could live a year of your life again, which year would it be? Year of my life again. Gee whiz, that's a difficult question, isn't it? It is. Um, Some people know it instantly. Do they? Yes. Somebody recently said, 1983. I said, oh, why? She said, I'm not telling you. (laughs) 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 It was for a number of decisions she'd made that year that she wished she'd changed. Really? Well, I don't think I would necessarily want to live life again any day and live it again. But I'd like it to progress. Uh, because I believe that, um, okay, you, as you go through life, you grow and you change. And I am not the same person as I was X years ago. And I don't think I'd want to go back to that. I think I'd rather say <clears throat> the time I'd like to live again would be the next bit that's coming up. You know, look, look, look progressively rather than regressively. Yeah. That Forward. would be my answer. It's, a good, it's an evasion again because I can't answer it. <laughs> Except in the way that I've answered it. Well, let me stump you now with question number 19. <laughs> what does the future hold? What does the future hold? I hope uh, a lot. Um, Hostage UK is developing internationally, and we've got the whole business now of setting up Hostage UK in America, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, through, the Euro- through Europe. That's going to take a lot of time, but it's well worth doing. Emmaus UK, we, I opened the first community 20-odd years ago uh, with nothing. We now have 29, 25 communities, another three coming along, and I want to see um, at least 50 in my lifetime, at least 50, to provide p- proper provision for the homeless. YCare is at an interesting point of development. Um, we have created a whole new scheme of developing job opportunities for youngsters around the world because what we've got to do is not just, you know, so much foreign aid just goes into the pockets of, of dictators. I'm sorry to say that, but it does. What we're trying to do is really give skills to youngsters who are able to make their own way in life free from over-dependence on external aid. And I want to see that developed, and I'm shortly off to South Africa um, to develop some projects there for youngsters, and we've got them developing all around the world. Um, work with prisoners, what I would like to see and what I'm going to continue to push for until my dying day is a better better situation for people in prison so that we can have more rehabilitation. And not only is that the humane and the right thing to do, it's also the economically sensible thing to do because at the moment, far too many prisoners are going into prison, coming out and going back in again. But we've got to break that cycle and we can only break it if we give enough, make opportunities for people when they come out to have worthwhile opportunities in life. And that is being done in certain places, in the Clink restaurant, which is associated with prisons, in a number of things, but it's not done sufficiently, and I'd like to push for that. So, another book. I've written the sequel to yes. um, The Golden Handshake. Is there a title for that yet? Oh, The Return of the Golden, Golden Handshake. <laughs> what course, else? What else? Course. But that will be out in about a year or 18 months' time, because this present book... The ship breaks down in New Zealand and everybody has to be flown home. But in the volume two, volume two we have them flying back again for a second dose. <laughs> so, oh, so, and they return to England then. And they get back. They get back in one piece. Well, but, don't, don't give it away. It's, it's, it's a great book, honestly. The Voyage of the Golden Handshake. Fantastic. Finally, question number 20, please, uh, Terry. Um, what's your motto? Motto? Um... Uh, I suppose, I've never thought of it before, I suppose it's um, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive is even better because that's what I had to do in captivity. Keep hope alive. And even if things seem pretty gloomy, you know, and we live in a world which is so full of suffering and many people listening to this will have suffered a lot in their lives and some suffered more than others through no fault of their own. And what I would say is, you know, don't be depressed. Um, 
Suffering will afflict us all in different ways. But in the majority of cases, it needn't be destructive. It can be turned round and turned to creative end. I never dreamt in those years that I would be able to write. And this is my fourth book, and I've got two more on, on the stocks, you know, being me up to six. I'm good at math, you see. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, keep hope alive. What's our final oh, this closing is, now, piece of this, music? This takes me back to the days of childhood when I was an avid listener to Children's Hour. North of England Home Service. The old tune, or Ilke Morbatat. That was a signature tune of, um, of, uh, of the program. And um, they used to have plays. And the BBC had the great ability to match the music to the theme of the play. Somehow they matched it. And I always remember uh, hearing for the first time Elgar's Enigma Variations, Nimrod, um, and it just somehow caught uh, the atmosphere of that play. And that was the beginning of the stirrings within me of the love of classical music. And so I leave this program with those those, uh, notes ringing in my head, which remind me of childhood, Remind me of England, um, Elgar, the great composer, and his Enigma variations. Terry Waite, Commander Terry Waite, thank you very much. 005. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Terry Waite wouldn't be offended if I described him as a gentle giant. Truly remarkable man. And our thanks to Terry Waite, and thanks to you for listening to the 20 Questions podcast. And there are more where that came from. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.